Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night? And then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. I had the privilege of hosting a panel at Broadway Con called How to Make a Cast Album. And my two guests were Bonnie Milligan and Kurt Deutsch. Bonnie is the superstar of Head Over Heels who has taken Broadway by storm this season with her incredible, incredible performance in that show. And Kurt Deutsch has been producing the most beautiful cast recordings for us for years now at Shikaboom, at Ghostlight Records, and now as Senior VP at Warner Chapel Records, and talking to the two of them about what goes into making a cast recording, how do you take your performance from stage and bring it into the booth when you are only recording vocals so that people listening at home who haven't even seen the show 
get the same feeling that they might while they're watching the show. We covered so many incredible aspects of making cast recordings, and we talk about our favorite cast recordings and why cast recordings have such staying power and what new technology means for it in making albums today versus in the past and what we have to look forward to in the future. This was one of the funniest, most moving, inspirational conversations, and I'm so thrilled that BroadwayCon asked me to host it, and I'm so happy to share Bonnie Milligan and Kurt Deutsch with you guys today. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to BroadwayCon 2019. And to our live podcast recording of Little Known Facts, today we are going to be talking about the thing that got us all to fall in love with Broadway to begin with. I think I speak for all of us, which is the cast album. It really was... I think for 99.9% of Broadway lovers, the thing that was their gateway drug to Broadway. Um, And so the fact that now we all get to be together and celebrate that really incredible moment that began it all for all of us is an extreme honor for me. And to be sitting here with Kurt Deutsch, who's the senior VP um, and basically the curator of uh, the cast recording and solo recordings for Warner Chappelle. He also began Chapel. I'm Jewish, so I <laughs> Shul, for Warner Shul, um, for Warner Chapel Records. So he also started an incredible label called Shikaboom, and then that turned into Ghostlight Records. They have over 200 records to date um, with solo artists and Broadway shows. You've probably heard all of them. He's won three Grammys for Beautiful, Book of Mormon, and In the Heights. Um, He is uh, really one of the extraordinary people creating the albums that we all fall in love with every day. He's been my friend for probably over 25 years, maybe 30, to watch the career and the level of curating of the most incredible cast recordings one after another, not to mention most recently being the brains and brilliance behind Be More Chill. It was Kurt who decided to make the cast recording after Be More Chill had been done at Two River Theater in New Jersey, and it is that album and that video of Michael in the bathroom that went viral that is really in no small way responsible for the global sensation that is that show. And he's done that one million times with other things. And so in this sweet little head is a kind of chip that understands exactly what we love. And we are forever grateful to you, Kurt Deutsch. Thank you and good night. Yeah. And (laughs) I had a whole piece of paper with lots of things written, and I forgot some of them, but hopefully we'll uncover them as we have this great conversation. To my left, uh, a woman who really needs very little introduction, Bonnie Milligan, who at a very young age and in a very short amount of time has taken Broadway by storm with her performance in Head Over Heels. Um, Her song, Beautiful, has become an anthem for... Young, young people of all shapes and sizes and colors around the globe and 
it is one of the most extraordinary experiences, and we are lucky that it was captured on a cast recording before the show closed because it now can be shared over and over again for a lifetime. And she is called Belting Bonnie for no um, ironic reason. <laughs> uh, what she can do vocally is extraordinary, and it wasn't even a gift she knew she had till later in life. So the fact that she went from singing beautifully to kind of changing the landscape of what we reach for or think of now in our Broadway stars, I can't believe she's here at 11.15 on a Saturday. <laughs> so I just wanted to start by talking about... Um, a couple of things, but one of the things I'm really interested in, I only did one cast recording. Charlie Brown was like an amazing moment in my life, but for the most part, I did plays, and that was like a magical one-off that I'm so grateful for. But one of the things that I didn't have experience with, and I think figured out more on the day, and I wish I'd known more of, is how do you take, often, we did that cast recording before we even opened on Broadway. Oh, wow. Um, so often now there's a real push for merch to be available in the lobby day one. So sometimes that means things get rushed a little bit. Um, mostly recordings are done when you've had a few performances under your belt and a lot of rehearsal time. But the challenge of taking what you do on stage and all of the personality that goes with the song and the relationship between you and other actors and, and bringing that into a recording booth where you're singing by yourself mostly. It's such a different dynamic. I wanted to talk to both of you from a producing standpoint and from an acting standpoint, how you create an experience that feels as alive, dynamic, and performative and representative of what <laughs> actually happens if you're in the show, in the booth. So do you want to start having just done one? Yeah. Um... It's it's a crazy experience. I had done um, demos before for um, there's a, a, a Disney show, Vampirina, and I know the writers. Uh, Why do you Diamond. think everyone's here today, Bonnie? It's that it's Vampirina. I know, <laughs> um, but I have I had done um, most of the demos that are then sent to the actors to learn the songs. And so I've, and I, I will do a lot of the different voices, like the 10-year-old Vampirina or the grandmother played by Patti LuPone or um, the little gargoyle played by Wanda Sykes. So I've done like all the different like versions of things. So, but usually I've got the track that is already um, recorded, you know, and I get it and, and it's just me in a studio and I can adjust the levels and it's just me and the guys, you know, and it's, it's pretty easy. Um, the other uh, cast album that I did was for God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, which we did at New York um, City Center Off Center. And that was exciting, and there was all of the cast, and we were all around, and um, we were with a lot of the orchestra, and that was exciting and different. But this was a whole, was a whole other ballgame, because it's a, like a you know, rock show, if you will. And the first night of recording was with all of the, the band. And we started with my crazy number, which where I flip the bed and do all the stuff, which is, was the hardest to kind of wrap my brain around how to do that in a studio because it's so, and we recorded it, I think at the end of August. So I had been doing it for months and months and it is, it was the hardest for me to figure out how to do on stage healthily, um, 
for my vocals and my body. I'm in a corset, flipping beds, rolling over things, and belting F sharps and up to G's. And you're like, okay, so you have to figure out how to do that. And it gets very muscle memory, and you know how to do it, so you don't have to think about it, and everything's kosher. It's good. And to get into a studio, and I was, you know, it was my first Broadway cast album, and I was very... Um, excited, and you have Tom Kitt in a booth, you know, and he's very, he's, we're friends, but now he's fancy, and he's done this, and I've never recorded with him before. He is fancy. And um, so I, I was a little more scared to kind of speak up for myself at the very beginning, and it, it was kind of a learning curve, to tell you the truth, because I, I didn't quite have the levels adjusted in the, in the, in the cans, and I was over singing at first. And I'm like, I don't, and now I'm vocally tired, and I don't get vocally tired in the show. And it was just, it was a really weird thing. That that was the hardest song, the first one I had to jump out of the gate doing. What do you mean when you say I was over singing? What does that mean? Because they were very, like, the headphones were very loud, and you had the band live. And so I didn't feel comfortable saying, so sorry, hold on, because everyone's playing. And it's the hardest song for the drummer. We had to take breaks because her wrists were, like, so intense. And my voice, like, we were like, hold on, hold on. Like, <laughs> we're going to, like, lose a drummer and a singer if we don't, like, you know, calm down. That's what we do for our art. We kill the drummers and the singers. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I was, and a lot of the time when I, so I did the, the first national tour of Kinky Boots, and so every time you get to a new city, you would do a sound check in that city. And so you're figuring out a new house, you're figuring out the space, and if you can't hear yourself, it is a tendency that you will just start singing louder. So you can, and now you're over singing and you're going to hurt yourself. And I learned on tour how to be like, I'm going to trust that it's right. I can kind of hear, but you would like talk to the sound tech and be like, I'm going to oversing and hurt myself without realizing. So that's what happened in that first song. And I had an evening of all of my big numbers for the first night. And I had been on the news at eight in the morning, uh, interviewing, doing the show uh, about the show. Then I was doing a reading. So I had a rehearsal all day and then a matinee and then straight to recording. So I was like, Oh no. And I was so, worried. It was my first Broadway cast album. I wanted it to be wonderful and perfect. And um, and it was that first number. It was learning in that piece to be like afterwards saying, okay, I didn't have the levels right. And I got it. I, we got the number right. I, But it it was hard. It was, it was really interesting because you're trying to get the momentum of what someone looks like tearing apart something on stage standing still in a booth. And so that became about like getting the nerves out of the way and just being like biting into the words like I do on stage. And um, yeah, it was an interesting. And advocating for yourself. Yes, and is, learning to be okay yeah. because no one was going to be like, how dare you? But there was a weird thing of, you know, silencing yourself. And I think we do that a lot, even as like <laughs> women, are we going to go there? Why not? <laughs> that we're like, sorry, I'm so sorry. It's like, no, don't say sorry. Just say you can't hear yourself and we'll, We'll go from the top, and I learned quickly everybody just wants you to do the best job possible because time is money, and let's do it right. Do you want to talk to it from your perspective? Well, so if I would have been in the booth, I would have said, you know, before we started, before we started singing, you know, you you want to run through it, you want to um, you want to make everybody as comfortable as possible, and so so I think the key is is that when you're in the booth and you're you're 
doing a sound check and you want to make sure the band's levels are what they can hear because everybody is feeding off of one another. The actors need to um, be able to hear themselves and there's techniques that you can do in terms of when you have the headphones on, you maybe take one ear off so that you can hear yourself sing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you really have to use the microphone as your friend because, um, and, and all of the dials, but basically you want, you want to be able to just make yourself as comfortable as possible because it is so foreign. Yeah. When you're on stage, you're playing to an audience and, and, um, and, and what we try to do in a cast album is recreate the experience um, of what it would be like to be on stage, but it's next to impossible. So what we try to do is capture the energy and the, um, and the essence of the performance so that if you're home at night um, listening to the record, you kind of can imagine what it would be like on stage. But when, when you are quote unquote over singing, I think that that becomes, um, that's the difference of being on stage and, and being in a recording studio. You have to think of it more in terms of, okay, th what's the film version mm -hmm. of, you know, the microphone, you know, if the microphone is your audience, the microphone is this far away from you. Yeah. And, so, and so what you try to do is capture the essence of that so that you are reaching the audience, but you're reaching the audience orally as opposed to kind of, uh, you know, we're belting out that way, even though you are belting. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a different kind of internal heartfelt belt as opposed to kind of like rah to the, to the rafters, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So, so that's kind of the difference, I think. When you just said film, the other thing I wanted to mention, and it's a perfect segue, Kurt produced the film version of the last five years, uh, which I think is one of the greatest musical movies oh. ever. I love it so much. I thought, by the way, my cosplay, I'm Jeremy Jordan in Newsies. Is that, <laughs> I'm sure that's obvious, but I just wanted to say it in case it, it wasn't. Um, Jeremy Jordan and Anna Kendrick did the film version of the play. And I guess when you just said, think of it more as a film experience, how did you guys, ha have you all seen the last five years, the movie? extraordinary um well done Thanks. you uh Thanks. so i wanted to and that the cast album is fantastic and so i wanted to know can you talk a little bit about the that project and and sure. how it came to be and how you handled all the music yeah. for that movie yeah well um my partner on it was richard legravenez and um and richard legravenez adapted it and directed it um and our engineer was um lawrence manchester um, who is incredible, and Richard's vision for it was to try to capture as much live, live um, on the set. So, so I mean, if you think about, everybody probably saw the Les Mis film. Um, the Les Mis film was different in that they had a piano on the set, and they allowed the actors to kind of dictate the tempo, and um, and so when you watch the film. There's no, there's not real kind of tempo. It's a kind of all over the place, and so the orchestra had to. Um, it took them a really long time to bring the orchestra in and 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 match what the actors were doing. So for the last five years, we did it a little bit differently in that we recorded the 
basic tracks um, with the actors singing, um, with uh, a band of six or seven, um, and the things, and, and basically what we did was we had the, um, and we recorded it with three different microphones. We recorded it with um, a kind of a lav, and we recorded it with a boom mic, and we recorded it with a studio mic, so that we had the ability to go back and forth between cuts and edits and everything. Um, and the, all the, the actors had um, earpieces in so that when they were doing, let's just say, um, I'm still hurting, um, you would hear, she would hear the, the playback in her ear, um, so it was already done, so we weren't dictating the tempo. Um, she wasn't dictating the tempo, she was following along with the playback in her ear and singing it live. Um, and then we were able, because we were able to record with those three different mics, um, we were able to capture, I, I would say 80% was live on, on, the, on the set. And um, the stuff that we couldn't capture, like for example, moving too fast when he's walking through the city or he's on a boat or those kinds of things were not, were not live. But for the most part, um, it was live and, and it was, it was and, then we, and then after it was done, we sweetened, when, when I say sweetened, we added a lot more strings, we added, um, we added a lot of the orchestration to it. But that's kind of how we, we made that. So when that he's film. doing that huge shmuel number? That's all live. That's all live, but a cappella? No, he's got, he's got. No, but the, I mean, there's no, there were no musicians around for him. It was all in his no, ear. No, we were Every, in a studio. Right. We were in a studio. I mean, we were in a, a brownstone up in Harlem. And um, I mean, there was, there was a time when we had a piano, like when things are really out of tempo um, or, or they don't have, like, for example, um, I think if I didn't believe in you. That was um, because it is just kind of piano. I think at the beginning of that, or guitar maybe. We did have a piano, a synthesizer, so he was able to kind of do that. But for the most part, it was uh, it was done live, hearing in a in a in a in, a, in there just a little earpiece in there. It's incredible. I wanted to ask, so Kurt, when I first met Kurt, he was a, a phenomenal actor and, and starred in many musicals. I remember Faust being a huge thing in your career. So obviously you had experience as a performer in musical, And as you said earlier, you did do Snoopy at some point. And that's really <laughs> one to learn on deeply. Yeah. Um, how did you figure out that you had this extraordinary calling aside from being a performer in your life, to produce the cast recordings we loved so much? I, I never really thought that I was going to... What I, what I, I was in college for acting and directing, but I always acted in the summertime. And I grew up in St. Louis and went to the Muni every, um, you know, every week because my mom had season tickets, so I saw musicals. Um, I, uh, I thought that when my hair would fall out that I would produce... I didn't know that I would, you know, produce theater um, or direct. How did you know your hair was going to fall out? Because my, my mom's dad was bald, and so I it's, it's going, you know, it's like... The writing but, was on the um, wall. So, so anyway, but, but, but basically what happened was um, in 19... In, in, in about 1999, um, Sherry who um, was my wife, got 
um, Aida, and um, somebody gave her a record contract, and I and I looked at it and I thought it was kind of a ridiculous contract, and I said, "You're playing to, you know, uh, fifteen thousand people a week on Broadway," and at that time it was um, very. Uh, the Amazon had just started. Internet was just, you know, it was like a very different time. And um, and so uh, we had this idea to do a solo record. Um, and there really weren't major labels interested in Broadway performers doing their own thing. So, so we had this idea to start this record label um, for our friends. And, and it was more about, and it was kind of post-rent, so a lot of the people, Adam Pascal, and it was and Tommy. It was really, it was really rent and Tommy were the catalysts for those, for us for wanting to kind artists. of create that community. And so what we wanted to do is to kind of create a United Artists for Broadway um, was kind of the goal. And then um, with the last five years, um, the original last five years that was right after 9/11. Um, I, I, I had started getting into this probably a couple of years later, and I said, and I realized that that same contract that they gave to uh, to uh, to artists was the same contract they gave to show they gave to shows. And I thought, why would a Broadway producer, an off-Broadway producer, give away their rights and hardly ever make any money off of that thing? So I said you know, what if I partnered with the producers of the show and we made the record together and at this point I had distribution and and I could, you know, produce the record, um, make it happen and get it out there and we all are kind of partners together. So the extension of kind of United Artists for Broadway was also United Artists for cast albums and that's kind of how it all started. How I, I, I just always, I, I love music. So... So, um, and I love musicals, and so I, I, I'm not an engineer. What I, where I come from it from is a place of, um, of direction, like as a director. So I would, I, I, I work from wanting to get the truth out of the performance and the soul out of the performance. And so, so that's kind of where I, where I come from, but that's, that's just kind of how I see it. So when Kurt talks about being the director, as it were, of the recording aspect of the show, mm -hmm. when you recorded Head Over Heels, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Mayer was the director of yes. the show, um, who I'll see tonight at the yeah. Charlie yeah, Brown reunion. Um, who directed your recording session? Was there a Kurt? Was there someone sort of... Um. Um, Tom was there, yeah, Tom. and uh, Tom Kitt. Okay, and our because he was the musical director. He was our musical supervisor. Okay. Yeah, so he had done all of the vocal arrangements and the orchestrations, and he was there. Our engineer Scott, I don't know Scott's last name, Scott Rysat. There you go. He was lovely. So the two of them were in the booth, and so we couldn't see them, you know, but we, they would come over and talk and give notes on something or. Or, or talk it out, um, and then Michael Mayer did come later. He wasn't there for the whole session, um, but he was there for um, a lot of it. So and a, lot of time, a lot of times directors, it's, it's interesting, a lot of times directors will or won't show up. A lot of times you'll be working with the composer mm -hmm. um, um, who, 
who, uh, you know, because it's his, his music. Yeah. And a lot of times I would say the orchestrator and the music supervisor are, are really, yeah. and it really depends on, you know, and you really have to have a chain of command of, yes. of how you want it, because you don't want all these people giving notes. Yes. And Tom was definitely like the voice of being yeah. in charge. Yeah. And then they would be like, okay, hold on. And then you would stop hearing what they would be discussing, thank God. And then they'd come back and be like, okay, Bonnie, we're going to take that again. You're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not because it wasn't good, yeah. right? Just because right, but... it was the drum who was having a problem? Well, it was just that first number, honestly, just learning. Like, it was a, a brand new, again, it wasn't my, my first rodeo, but it was in many other ways. Um, and Charlotte Caffey of the Go-Go's was there. What's funny is um, about the, the Go-Go's, they're so excited. They were so excited about us doing the piece and putting our spin on it that they were just like, it's great. Like <laughs> there wasn't like so any sweet. like, well, it was just like, wow, we don't sing like that. That's great. You know, you're like, okay. <laughs> so it was really cool to have um, Charlotte there just like so happy whenever we would like finish a song and we, I would go out on the break and she'd be there. And a couple of the producers of, um, head over heels were there. Um, again, not talking during, but there and listening and I'm sure speaking when they would turn the, the mic off for us. Um, but it was just this like, yay, we're doing this. It's an incredible thing, right? It's also yeah. such a Well, we almost didn't get one too. You know, we were still looking for ticket sales and we were um, we were trying to get our audience and everybody believed in the piece and believed in the show so much that they're like, we need an album and we want this out there and we don't know how long we'll be here, but this is something important. And one of our producers were essentially like self-producing the album to make sure that it was done, which I'm so grateful for. I wanted to ask you about this, Kurt, because there there are, is more than one company, not that many, that produce cast recordings. Obviously, you're king, as far as I'm concerned, but... <laughs> but uh, the number of, of cast recordings in your catalog is huge. Um, not to mention Patti LuPone's solo albums. Like, it's a really casual. extraordinary thing. Yes. Um, casual. <laughs> casual. Casual. Casual Patti, as we call her. Um, that is awesome. She's incredible. But we I... Were listening to, we were li listening to, to the... Um, company record I just got in the mix of the Kurt and I were listening to it yeah so we just recorded it and um and I just got it last week and we were we were um listening to ladies her version oh. of ladies who lunch and it's gonna it's gonna blow people away Kurt and I were like I wish there was like a camera filming us listening to it because we were out of our minds and Kurt Kurt's offices are, by the way, beautiful and kind of super mad many, like sexy, but... Big I, bar, a yes, lot of, yes. you know, <laughs> coffee smoking. bar. But yeah. I guess they just have to understand at Warner Chapel that, like, on his floor, cast recordings will be blaring, yeah. and I walk out of the elevator, and, like, everyone's sort of trying to do their work, and then Kurt's just in this room that's, like, the coolest room ever, and literally, screw, like, at the... I can't even, I don't know math, but whatever the decimal was. 11. 11. It was at 11. <laughs> it would have been like my mom would have said, turn it down. And I thought, like, if I died right now, and I don't want to, <laughs> that the last thing I'm hearing is okay. Patty Lapone, like, in the most perfectly pitched, gorgeous, clean vocal singing, Everybody Rise. <sighs> like that, if I had to go. 
With Kurt. With my old friend Kurt. Right. Um, it was amazing. But I guess what I wanted to ask you is how, you know, when she was saying there was no one to do Head Over Heels and then the producer hero gallops in on his or her white horse, how do you decide, A, which ones you're going to produce and is there like a bidding war? Like, how does it work? Well, I, I, it just depends on it. It's, it really depends on the show. Um, and, you know, we had industry day yesterday and we were talking about, you know, a very similar, similar thing. It's like, I'm no, not... No, this was the only person ever to ask you this right. question, <laughs> but, ever. But we didn't really talk about that. We talked okay, about... thank you. We talked about, um, you know, I, I'm, I, have a, I feel a huge responsibility um, about preserving as much as I possibly can, but I'm not a not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so... I have to look at the commercial viability of something. Um, I also have to look at uh, if it's, if it, you know, because I want to preserve, I mean, I, I, I want to preserve from Michael John to, you know, the Be More Chill to, I want to support all of these composers, these young composers, and I also see the value of preserving uh, the Brigadoon or the Mr. Rosewater or all, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, um, the people who are producing the shows, if they're raising money for, um, for if they're raising $12 million or $15 million, however much it costs to do a Broadway show, they need to put in their budget a portion, if not all of the recording budget in there because, um, because it, this, in this day and age with streaming and how expensive these records are, I mean, these records can cost somewhere between 400, 200 to 400 to more thousand dollars. To produce. To produce. Um, you know, when all the unions and the everything kind of come, come come in, and so, and so I think, and and with streaming now, it, it it's um, the amount of money that you get from from the sale of the record doesn't necessarily make up. So very few of these records actually recoup their costs. Um, so I really look at um, I really look to the producers. Um, I will sometimes partner with the. I, I mean, I most of the times partner with the producers for the most part. But but at the end of the day, um, a lot of the shows, um, whether it's at the public or you know, we just did Hundred Days and Miss You Like Hell and uh, and a lot of these shows that I love dearly, that whose performances and the composers, you know, for their study and everything that that we need these recordings for licensing purposes. But um, but I really think that. If it's possible to um, have the 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 cost in their budget, so that it's so that we're not having to worry about, yeah. you know, worry about oh my gosh, Head Over Heels is not going to be recorded, right? Um, and then I serve as kind of like a producer, but um, but I I gravitate towards things that are original um, or um, that are new. Um, I don't do as many. Um, revivals. I do do. I have done revivals, but I don't do as many unless I feel like it's something different. Um, there's something unique or different about it, um, uh, and, um, and and or, or or I'm working with producers that I have long histories with, or composers that I have long histories with, or performers that I have long histories with. So Melissa Erico, who has a solo album called Sondheim Sublime. I did a bunch of panels with her yesterday, and you produced that recording for her, one of the solo artists that you work with, um, had CDs with her and, and gave me one, and I was so excited. And then I really thought about it, and I thought, 
do I have a CD player in other than in my car? And I was like, here I have like, and and I was like, please sign it for me. And it was thrilling because I just think she has one of the most gorgeous voices. And I think, by the way, it's an incredible album. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful and really like, I'm a Sondheim lover and she delivered, you know, my dream if I could sing a Sondheim album, I would love to sound like her on hers. But what is happening now? I mean, I see people come to stage doors with their CDs to have people sign them, but who is who is actually listening still? Vinyl is cool now. Like the Be More Chill vinyl album is super cool and, and that feels relevant right now. But what happens to CDs and why are we still making them? Well, I, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm being honest. Like if, no. if everyone has AirPods now, I don't want them to go away. I mean, but what happens? Well, I mean, we... we um, we make CDs for people who collect. We make CDs mm-hmm. for people who, you know, and, and it's also generational. You know, I think a show like Beautiful or 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 um, actually the Sondheim Sublime album, surprisingly, is selling a lot of physical. So I think that I think that a show like Be More Chill, not a lot of physical, mm-hmm. mostly streaming. Um, or or the or we create a collector's item kind of piece. So we did the vinyl that people could. Collect, cherish, cherish, yeah. you know. So, so, and the same thing with Book of Mormon. We, you know, we we did uh, a vinyl version where it's like uh, my idea was to do like two golden plates. So it's like I got the golden plates, you know. So it was like two gold records, or or um, we did a vinyl of Drowsy Chaperone, which was, you know, my the thought was okay, what would the actual record be yeah. that Bob Martin listens to? And the funny thing about that is, is that we sell that vinyl to the, our biggest consumer of that vinyl is prop masters for uh. the people who are actually doing the show or, you know in summer stock or wherever so like the, we want to get that oh, vinyl funny. version so um you know so it's like but i still think streaming i mean streaming is where where everything is right now and 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 i think it gives people the control to make playlists, to create their own things, you know, and um, and we don't really focus on single songs as cast albums. It becomes a listening experience. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. whole thing is a story, so people are not really just wanting to listen to one song. They're wanting to have that experience, so that's, uh, you know, I don't know where it's going to go from here, but I think that it's going to, CDs will be going away. It's sad. <laughs> Earrings. We can make earrings out of them. Yeah. Um, what was the first cast recording you remember, like saving up for, or someone giving to you? Oh wow. Uh, I had several that I remember being so in love with. I'm not quite sure what was my first. I thoroughly modern Millie was one that I just was like, oh, because you know I grew up in the Midwest and we had like a one light town, you know, and where the light is always red. And <laughs> you're like, exactly. That Charlie Brown was a big favorite of mine. Um, last five years, I remember finding that. My teacher told me about it, and I was like, what is this? Um, yeah, and then you you escaped into these albums. You know, I, I grew up in a double-wide trailer in um, central Illinois, and... Um, you could get the booklet and you could read through and so much of the story was in there. And 
Um, and I remember sometimes going to like Barnes and Noble and you could go and put like the headphones on and find an album if it couldn't afford it and you could just listen to it right there. Um, yeah, so I had lots of, yeah, those were like my favorite. I loved Wonderful Town. I loved, yeah. Can you tell us, so obviously the Elaine, the, the video that went viral, which is sort of the beginning in the Broadway community of something, it's sort of like Michael in the Bathroom, mm -hmm. which is Elaine Stritch singing mm -hmm. Ladies Who Lunch. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, we're at Broadway Con. That's like saying, has anyone, thank you, come on. <laughs> like, what a stupid rhetorical question. Um, do you have anything like that in your experience um, that, not, not that would embarrass anybody, right. but something hilarious that happened in a recording studio or really um, compelling that you were able to work through miraculously for the time that we listened to the album, but anything that you can remember that's kind of... I mean, there's every, every album has a story. I think that um, the most one of the most challenging records that we did was the um, revival of the hair recording, um, which is a, I mean, God, you know, God rest Galt, Galt McDermott hero. I mean, because we talk about albums for me when I was a kid, hair was hair was, you know, up there. But um, we, it was one of the first records we, we we did where because the cast is in almost every um, every song. And so um, we had to set up the studio in such a way uh, where where we had two studios going at once. So the band was in one studio, the cast was in another, the, the soloists were in another booth. So it was, it's very complex because you're recording these things in basically one day um, for the most part. Um, and we decided that the way that we were going to do this particular record was that we were just going to run it down and go start from the very beginning, which is not normally the way we do it, and just and just keep going. And as we as we started that process, um, people were starting to lose their voices in the middle of the recording. Will Swenson, he 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 and he he lost his voice, and um, you know, and because they're doing this thing eight times a week, and to have to come in on their days off to, and and it's I think it's a, a lot a lot of ways um, cruel that we have to do it this way, yeah. but it, the union ha actually, to their credit, they've given us a reprieve where we don't have to do it that way now in the future. It's like I don't know if you know this, but basically. And it's a, the actors get a week's salary for every eight hours they're in the they're in the um, they're in the studio, which is a great thing um, for the actors. Um, um, no, as as they should as they should be getting paid. I mean, they, they deserve it. But the problem is is that is that um, you have to then really schedule very very uh, carefully, and um, and so if. It, it, it used to be that you could do your eight hours, and then, and then if you wanted to do another session for four hours, they got a half a set. You know, so so yeah. you you do it. You, but now they we we've complained because it's like we we're about the safe. You know, we want to protect their voices. So wouldn't it be better if you like spread out that eight hours over a few days, and they didn't have to like. You know, do the entire show do over the and entire over again. Show yes. three takes, you know, over and over <sighs> after yeah. they've after they've you know re rehearsed. So maybe maybe there's a way that we can 
um, spread it out a little bit. And so, and also with the technology that exists now, I think that these rules are very antiquated. And you know, you used to be, you're in a big room, you're with an orchestra, and you just fucking, belt, excuse me, you just belt out the, you just belt out the show. Um, and, but it's different now. You, you, you're able to really isolate and, and fine tune in a way that, and that's why the records sound different than they sounded a long time ago. Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, but that's, uh, that is the challenge. And that particular show, Hair, it was, it was hard. That was a hard one. Um, I want to ask uh, you, because it's such a remarkable thing, and when you talk about the girl you were in the double-wide trailer and how you would listen either at the library or Barnes & Noble or the few that you had, yeah. when you had... I know you'd done other recordings, but not of your Broadway debut. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so when you saw the CD for the first time and it was handed to you. Just walk us through your experience emotionally a little bit of having this milestone in your life. I mean, I cried a lot. Um, I, I took a video of myself after the, after the final day of, so we recorded two nights. Um, that Sunday I was in the studio for I think five hours and then next night I was there for another three hours. And um, I was so exhausted, and I hadn't had a day off in a while because I was doing another project at the same time, a reading, and I'd been doing so much press. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. Like, I was worried vocally. I was worried about all these things. Um, and I got out of the car. I took a car home. I was like, I'm going to treat myself to a cab. <laughs> and I got out, and I was like, I want to remember this moment because this is all, oh, I'm going to get choked up all I ever wanted. And so I recorded myself because I just wanted to remember how grateful, you know, I am to be here in this moment and in this show that I've been with for four and a half years and a crazy emotional roller coaster. And to just remember that little girl who just desperately wanted an original Broadway cast album of her own. And there I got it. And so it's on my Instagram. You can look into it. <laughs> Belting bonds. Um, just, you know, when I started talking and I just, I just wanted to have like a, almost like a, a video journal of the moment. And I just started crying because I'm like, I've never been so exhausted in my life. And I've also never been so happy and grateful. And I really didn't think I'd get through it. And I did. And, um, and just being like, this happened today, and oh my gosh, and and then to get that physical copy was my face is on it, you know, like what? And you pick up the CD, and there's me, like what? Um, and to like go on Amazon and immediately order copies to be sent to my mom and my brother, and didn't tell them it was coming, you know, and um, yeah, it's special, it's beautiful, it's a legacy that I get to be a part of that I've always just admired and it's hard work this <laughs> but it's such a beautiful gift to be able to be a part of yeah I remember when we went into the recording studio to do Charlie Brown the first song that they sang because Kurt was saying earlier you don't necessarily uh, record in order and there's all sorts of reasons in terms of why from actor schedules to really thinking about vocals and how to protect them um, and the first song that we recorded for the You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown album was Anthony Rapp singing the Kite Song, mm -hmm. which is really one of the most beautiful, treasured songs in 
in musical theater history as far as I'm concerned because Anthony Rapp, uh, as you know, started Broadway Con. It's why we're here. He and Melissa and Nelly started this unbelievable thing. And he really is like, it's sort of absurd, but like he's the most good person on the planet. And I was a rent freak, like so many of us. It was just talk about like a cast recording. I listened to... Um, Part of it was so heady because a lot of these people I knew, and it was sort of like the way Hamilton is now. Like, you've seen these people work so hard on the thing. The legacy of Jonathan Larson, um, who remarkably, his this new album will come out of, of these lost songs of Jonathan yeah, Larson. I just heard, I just heard one. And uh, Green Street? Yeah, did, yeah. did I play it for you? No, I heard it also from someone else, and it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But But Anthony was... Mark Cohen, and then he was Charlie Brown, and the idea that I was watching Mark Cohen sing Charlie Brown <laughs> was, it's, it's a hard thing to describe. Yeah. yeah. And he's magical, he's a unicorn. Um, but you really, you walk in that first day, and I imagine you feel this, time, this every time, Kurt, because if you are one of us um, who are all feeling like we're in our Broadway camp right now with a community that we love so much. We all lay on our beds with these albums or CDs or whatever it was that we held on to. And to be for my first time in a room where, forget that I was even going to be on the cast album. That didn't even, yeah. that was so irrelevant at that moment, but that Anthony was starting us off in that way. Like, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, and that you are sort of the, um, you make Bonnie's dream happen. Like what you do every day with all of the Lena Halls and the Alice Ripleys and the, the people who are doing it talk about it not being like a moneymaker, like to preserve what they want to do as solo artists and then to take these Broadway shows that we love so much. You know, I have kids now, and my greatest joy was when my little boy was two years old. I heard him in the bathroom brushing his teeth, singing, I really need this job. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> yes! Uh. I thought, I'm done. I'm like, done if it. I do nothing else... Like, I just remember, like, everyone be quiet. <laughs> Caleb is singing. So, anyway... Thank you all for being here and for being a part of Broadway Con and for coming to this panel on the thing that really is like the most treasured, treasured aspect of musical theater, which is preserving it for all time. So thank you, Kurt Deutsch, for being remarkable. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie Milligan, for being the person and voice that musical theater dreams will be built on for future generations in ways that the others who came before us were for us. So for you being here this morning, and to Kurt, and to all of you, thank you for being thank here. You. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know there are over 120 episodes of Little Known Facts with Alana Levine at this point? So if you love this one, but you're a new listener, go back to the beginning and catch up. I promise you every episode will shed a light on an artist that inspires you in a whole new way. 
It is such a pleasure to make this podcast for you, and I hope if you love listening as much as I love making it, that you'll head over to my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. There's a donation page, and truly, any donation, large or small, makes such a huge impact on my being able to make over a 100 more episodes for you guys, so I really, really appreciate it. I record this podcast at the Hangar Studios in New York City. If you ever are interested in making your own podcast or any kind of recording, go to thehangarstudios.com and get more information on how they make the magic happen. Thanks for listening.